Chapter 7, Top 10 Trends in Layer 1 Networks, uh, 7.0 Networks and Interoperability. This is the first year I've opened this section with a general comparison of crypto networks versus a headfirst dive into the state of Ethereum. I mean, no disrespect. Ethereum had a big year with its long-awaited Chappella upgrade and its roll-up-centric vision of the future is picking up steam. But we live in a multi-blockchain world today and compatibility and interoperability are more important than any one network or roadmap. That's a good thing. Fortunately, Masari happens to produce some of the world's top research on networks not named Ethereum. We're all over Ethereum too. This isn't zero sum. Who's going to be important to keep an eye on in the new year? These reports should help catch up on all of the networks that matter in 2024. Seven point source, one ethereal network dominance. At this point, many Ethereum purists may not like me very much. First, there was my flagrant disrespect in the opening chapter. ETH will lag BTC and other L1s, if not both next year. And now I'm burying ETH as a mere peer in the category it helped create and define, the Gaul. While this was Ethereum's best year yet, and it has proven to be the strongest network by community size and revenue generation, aka fees, we are still in crypto's adolescence, and I have never been more confident that smart contract block space is a commodity product. Most developers will build on the lowest cost, highest performance blockchains, and to the extent they interact with Ethereum, it will be through rollups and bridges. That is not my critique, but rather Ethereum's longtime explicit direction. Devs and applications will decentralize away from Ethereum, and network token value will likely follow dispassionately because no one sings folk songs about database software. Consider this, the top network for stablecoin settlement is Tron. The top network for tokenized on-chain assets is Stellar. The top network for Depin is Solana. And the top networks for DeFi are suddenly up for grabs. Maker's new chain could be a Solana fork. DYDX has moved to Cosmos and most DEX volumes already settle primarily on rollups and other L1s. It was fitting that Project Guardian's institutional partners hardly referenced Ethereum at all. The big, smart, and powerful money will root around rent seekers and will view Ethereum's security model much differently than the crypto faithful, i.e. they won't think it's necessary. Ethereum does have an advantage in one market segment, though. They crushed it during the meme token rally this spring. If we're talking about fundamentals for network tokens, there's one supply-side dynamic that matters, inflation and token burn rate, and two demand-side metrics, fee generation and the expected demand for security. I've come to believe that network fees, in POS networks at least, don't matter as much as everyone thinks they do. Even if they do matter long-term, I agree that we are debating their importance prematurely. So let's look at the demand for security model instead. 7.2 value accrual and security in a multi-chain world. There are different ways to think about value accrual and fundamentals across various crypto market segments. In DeFi, it probably is fee generation, similar to financial services. In layer one blockchains, there are additional factors outside of network fees that resemble commodities. Base chains, layer ones, secure all the smart contract apps and rollups deployed on top of the network. Within these apps, the native base chain token can have significant demand as collateral 
roll-up gas token or generally as money in addition to transaction fees. Ethereum is a clear example with over 33% of the entire supply of ETH locked in smart contracts. Modeling out the aggregate demand sinks of the base asset against inflation is the most comprehensive valuation framework, albeit a difficult one. We introduced a simpler framework earlier this year, which zeroes in on the security demand of the largest apps on top of a given chain, the expected demand for security model, EDSM. In brief, as app protocols or rollups see valuation growth relative to their base native tokens, the application becomes a major customer of the base chain's security staked market cap. While there is no exact fundamental ratio, the base chain must scale security to serve those users. Thus, the ratio of the base native tokens market cap to the market cap of the largest app protocol on-chain can be used as a directional valuation multiple. Chains that have relatively low valuations compared to their largest application can generally be expected to appreciate meeting the security demands of the app protocol. To illustrate, look at the staked market cap of Ethereum security supply and you'll see that it's a relatively low multiple of Ethereum's largest application by market cap, Arbitrum, especially when compared to younger chains. That makes some intuitive sense. As demand for Ethereum block space picks up and the ecosystem matures, its relatively high network fees will cause some application demand to dissipate, i.e. Ethereum block space demand flattens or declines. This is similar to earnings multiples in publicly traded stocks. Market leaders trade at lower PEs than up-and-comers. Even if the market leaders are still growing quickly, their ceiling is lower. If we look at fully reserved stablecoin EDSM, Tron and Ethereum trade at cheap valuations. Again, this isn't surprising as more stablecoins are expected to bridge to other chains, rollups or alt L1s, and Tron is unique given the many ties between Justin Sun affiliated apps and overall Tron TVL. The EDSM suggests that Tron is either undervalued or the market is heavily discounting what they believe to be a high but relatively noisy percentage of activity on that network. There will be improvements that can be made to the EDSM over time, but my bet is that this remains a weak signal for traders and a high signal model for developers and other builders who are considering where they should consider deploying applications. 7.3 Network Decentralization. I'm slaying a bunch of sacred cows in this chapter. My hunch is that the decentralization of crypto that really matters is market share among interconnected blockchains. Technical points of centralization still matter, but over-reliance on AWS within one crypto community is more tolerable than over-reliance on Ethereum by the entire community at this point. We should still track infrastructure concentration closely for signs of centralization risk, especially after Hetzner's ban on crypto operations in August 2022, but I don't think it's worth panicking over whether AWS accounts for the majority of hosted stake for the 10th most popular two-year-old L1 network. In the future, we'll have fully permissioned bank chains and broadly decentralized public chains and everything in between. The job of application developers is to determine which network trade-offs they are going to make for their particular use case. For most networks, Centralization concerns are overblown. When they arise, economic concentration and geographic concentration matter just as much, if not more. 7.4, the evolution of censorship concerns. Centralization concerns essentially boil down to two core issues. 
One, does a certain vector of centralization lead to network performance issues that put applications at risk of outages? And two, will centralization create censorship challenges? One of the interesting things about the disentanglement of block building, relaying, and validation in Ethereum is that it cleanly separates censorship challenges between three different layers of the Ethereum transaction processing stack. After the US Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, sanctioned Tornado Cash addresses last summer, major Ethereum relays began to censor transactions. The problem only abated once Flashbots open-sourced its market-dominant relay and allowed permissionless relays like Ultrasound, Agnostic, and BlocksRoute to become more competitive. Today, it's block builders who have increasingly begun to censor transactions. I'd expect some of the biggest development breakthroughs in 2024 to come in areas like mempool encryption that shield transactions from potentially censorious parties before they are included in a block. As always in crypto, we tackle these problems one at a time when they arise. Every network will have to grapple with its own censorship challenges in the years ahead, but I do agree that Ethereum is light years ahead of other communities so far when it comes to considering these challenges and front-running or quickly addressing them with solutions. 7.5, the bull case for Ethereum ads. So I promise you, I'm not trying to intentionally mid-curve the case for ETH. To prove it, I'll give the best case that I can, which counters the FUD up to this point in the report. One pole position matters. Ethereum has long established network reliability, a liquid ecosystem, and a $300 billion market cap that is 10x higher than the next largest smart contract network. Ethereum's maturity helps attract roll-up and app developers due to the security the network provides. As such, the ETH community is in a prime position to attract developers who have already started to build products that could meaningfully contribute gas fees and transactions to Ethereum's ecosystem. Two, TradFi is going to love the pitch. If I end up eating my words on ETH's performance in 2024, it will be because I underestimated how much Wall Street will love the ETH pitch. The high-growth market leader has a clean-slash-ESG narrative that beats Bitcoins, an ETF that will fast-follow the Bitcoin spot ETF, a net deflationary supply, and is generating run-rate fees, not ETH rewards, but true fees of $300 million per year. Its 4-5% staking yield will also get more attractive in a declining interest rate environment. Three, ETH is chaotic. Good. Here's something that might be non-obvious, but the world's original decentralized investment bank thrives on volatility and chaos. If Bitcoin is a bet against bankrupt central banks, then Ethereum is a bet against morally bankrupt investment banks. Ask yourself if you expect 2024 to be more or less chaotic than this year geopolitically, then look at the three spikes in Ethereum network activity. 7.6 dank roll-ups. The next upgrade to Ethereum, Cancun Deneb, Denkun is expected in Q1, will reduce transaction costs on rollups by 90 99% by implementing EIP 4844 or proto dank sharding. You can read about the technical details in our linked research at the end of this section. That could lead rollup transactions to become as cheap, if not cheaper, than Alt L1s. As such, the Denkun delivery date is one of the most important dates to watch 
when it comes to the ongoing block space wars. And it's not just about one or two roll-up chains plugging into Ethereum either. We're talking about composable roll-up ecosystems with common infrastructure, shared liquidity, and network effects. In the last year, the Optimism Superchain, Arbitrum Orbit, ZK Sync, StarkNet, and Polygon have all announced details surrounding their Ethereum-centric roll-up ecosystems with varying degrees of developer lock-in contemplated in order to extract revenue from the use of their roll-up frameworks. Airdrops for roll-up users have been pulling them over from Ethereum L1, but there's a long way to go, and retention still revolves around the availability of token incentives. The Arbitrum and Optimism communities have continued to invest heavily in short-term incentive programs that entice teams to move to their general-purpose roll-ups. I'm serious, people. At some point, you're going to have to subscribe to Masari's research to get all of the details you need on these networks. There is simply too much for me to cover. That would adequately do the roll-ups space justice. I can't write 30 pages on this, but the team can. 7.7, the modular moment. So there are two main approaches to building decentralized networks, the modular and the integrated. Integrated architecture refers to a system in which all of a network's operational functions are integrated in a single protocol, followed by all operators. This includes executing transactions, coming to consensus on their order and validity, and storing the state of the chain. A integrated architecture usually creates slowdowns in innovation. A tightly integrated code base can delay the introduction and adoption of new features or improvements reducing the network's ability to evolve and meet emerging demands. Scalability challenges. Applications share execution on a traditional integrated chain, which can lead to network congestion, hampering the system's ability to handle large volumes efficiently and resulting in high fees for users. Operating nodes must participate in all aspects of the network, leading to increased computational overhead. Flexibility. App developers may have different needs and priorities than what is possible within the constraints of a dedicated virtual machine. Integrated systems are also not easily reusable, so developers requiring greater levels of customizability are forced to build whole blockchains as opposed to modifying a single component to their use cases. Given this, Ethereum went the modular route by implementing its roll-up-centric roadmap. Rollups allow developers to separate and optimize their execution environments from the settlement, consensus, and data availability DA provided by Ethereum L1. Ethereum L1 is also optimizing its role for rollups with the dank sharding upgrades as touched on above. Celestia and friends take the modular concept a step further by offering a purpose-built network for rollup DA. By solely focusing on this service, these networks offer cheaper fees and greater throughput for rollups than a general purpose L1. Devs can tailor their DA selection along the cost security spectrum. Celestia launched at the end of October, marking the beginning of the modular era outside of EVM ecosystems like Ethereum and BNB Chain. Uh, Celestia's TIA token used for network staking and rollup posting fees has been having a moment jumping over 300%. The challenge for building rollups on Celestia and other Alt-DA layers will be the inevitable fragmentation of liquidity. Modular systems will never offer the same composability benefits as a shared state machine, which opens the door to competitors. 
To achieve a seamless inter-roll-up transaction experience, interoperability solutions will be critical to prevent ecosystem fragmentation. The end result is likely an interconnected web across various modular ecosystems where users transact without necessarily knowing which roll-up or ecosystem they're in, only that their requirements are being fulfilled. Achieving this will involve shared sequencers like Astria and Espresso, current and upcoming bridging protocols like Hyperlane and Polymer, and order flow abstraction networks and intents by Anoma and Flashbots, Solve. 7.8, Solana's resurgence, Solus move it or lose it. Solana was crypto's comeback player of the year. The ecosystem was left for dead by many in the industry following last fall's FTX collapse, but has since resurged. The torrid pace of new product releases, spike in on-chain liquidity, and broadening availability of developer tooling has been a sight to behold. On the tech side, upgrades like uh, local fee markets, uh, quick and stake-weighted QoS paid dividends in 2023, significantly reducing the downtime Solana had previously suffered in 2022, and NFT compression slashed minting and management costs to Solana, which led to a boom in the DePin sector as protocols like Helium and Render leveraged its compression capabilities. Attention now centers around a few major initiatives going into 2024, performance enhancements via Firedancer, Jump Crypto's client that brings 10F Plus right throughput improvements, which I covered earlier, and SIG, Syndica's validator client that brings 10F Plus read throughput improvements. The development of light clients through Tiny Dancer. One of Solana's most common criticisms is centralization of nodes due to expensive, technically challenging hardware. Light clients keep expensive validators producing blocks honest by allowing low-cost verifiers to check their work. Don't take the Solana Foundation's word for it. Vitalik outlined this vision for Ethereum years ago in his off-cited endgame post. The deployment of the Token22 standard, which extends Solana token functionalities. Token22 will enable new token types like interest-bearing tokens, allowing for native confidential transfers of tokens on-chain, and enable developers to create programs that are triggered on token transfers, e.g. programmatic NFT royalties can be enforced at the protocol level. Tech like local fee markets and state compression enable applications that are only possible on Solana, spanning sectors such as Depin, projects like Helium, HiveMapper, Render, and Teleport have migrated to Solana. Render recently ditched their own blockchain to take advantage of Solana's compressed NFTs, transaction speeds, and composability with on-chain order books. Payments. Solana holds promise to help power mainstream payment flows. So says Visa, who expanded its USDC settlement pilot to Solana. It's possible to transact on Shopify using Solana USDC through Solana Pay's plugin, send crypto with a link using TipLink or code, and off-ramp using Beam or Sphere. Consumer apps, cheap NFT minting through compression, have enabled new consumer use cases to form, such as Drip and Dialect. Drip partners with artists to distribute free NFTs to subscribers. Since late March, it has minted over 78 million CNFTs to 1.6 million wallets for a grand cost of 413 SOL, around 0.036 per NFT. DeFi, super cheap fees, fast finality, and protocols like 
fully on-chain order books, create a DeFi UX not found on other networks. Even better, a lot of these protocols do not yet have their own token. The wealth effect is real and coming to Solana with recent and upcoming airdrops from Pith, Jito, Jupiter, and more. With 907 projects formed in its latest hackathon alone, the odds of Solana hosting breakthrough applications are up only. The SVM has emerged as the industry's clear number two operating system. Solana's achievements have helped reframe not only its own narrative, but also the general narrative around high-performance integrated networks. This is especially beneficial for other networks like Aptos and Sui, the two L1s born out of Meta's Diem and Novi projects. One of their many innovations is the Move programming language, which they each have their own flavor of. Move promises application developers enhance safety and flexibility over Solidity and other Web3 programming languages. Their ecosystems are younger, but worth watching. Luckily for you, we cover both Aptos Q323 SUI Deep Dive. 7.9 FHE and ZK trends. God bless our smart contract developers. They've already built incredible apps with such little computational resources. However, to reach parity with the complex, sophisticated Web2 apps we've all become accustomed to, smart contract developers need access to more compute. This will be a major theme in 2024, increasing the computation available for on-chain apps. ZK coprocessors have emerged to address this issue. Think of these as GPUs in the cloud. When a smart contract developer needs additional computational resources that would be prohibitively expensive to access natively on Ethereum, they can tap into ZK coprocessors. For example, imagine Ave wants to offer personalized borrow rates based on complex credit score logic. Uh, inscribing all of that logic on chain and running through the calculations for every loan would likely result in users paying more for just getting a credit score than the actual loan itself. ZK coprocessors allow complex computations to be run off chain and their ZK properties enable anyone to verify that the computations were correctly processed. As a whole, smart contract developers can access cheap, verifiable compute. An important aspect of ZK coprocessors is that they empower app developers to shift their focus away from ZK-related concerns and concentrate on other aspects of their technology stack. Devs won't have to worry about needing the infrastructure or know-how to generate ZK proofs. There's a downside to ZK coprocessors. They don't enable privacy, but rather rely on third-party provers to generate computationally expensive proofs. These proofs require access to input data, so in our hypothetical Avi credit score example, users would have to trust third parties with potentially sensitive and personal data. This design echoes the trust dynamics of Web2 cloud computing with users relying on and trusting these entities to safeguard their data. That's where fully homomorphic encryption, FHE, comes in. Essentially, FHE enables an entity to compute directly on encrypted data. Yes, it sounds like black magic, but it's real. FHE has been a topic of academic discussion since 1978, but recent practical advancements have positioned it for real-world deployment. FHE R&D has surged recently, driven by tech giants like Meta, Google, Amazon, 
responding to stringent data laws like GDPR and government agencies boosting funding amid rising cyber threats. For companies reliant on targeted advertising, the capacity to compute over customer data without compromising privacy compliance is crucial. Within crypto, FHE is set to broaden the spectrum of possibilities. The most anticipated breakthrough is an FHE-enabled smart contract platform which would enable end-to-end -end encryption for public blockchains. Phoenix is working on this and keep all on-chain data private. Even validators would not be privy to FHE transaction data, potentially eradicating MEV and providing better privacy for businesses and individuals. Besides FHE-enabled smart contract platforms, FHE could be used for private payments, trustless games, private voting, private machine learning, and creating a private data economy. ZK coprocessors and FHE are powerful new cryptographic primitives. They are in their infancy, but will be among the most powerful innovations in crypto this decade. 710, the evolution of bank chains. <laughs> We're living in a moment where everyone wants to run their own blockchains. Successful applications are considering moving to custom blockchains on Cosmos, forking Solana, or creating their own rollups. Institutions are taking it one step further still. Many are insisting on managing their own private chains, reminiscent of the companies in the early 2000s who thought they would run their own cloud. But just as intranets fell into the dustbin of history and internal server management died at the hands of the dominant big tech-run cloud, purely private blockchains will eventually die off as well. Even though banks have the budgets and IT teams to manage private blockchains, there is no way they will be able to properly maintain their infrastructure as effectively as the public open source platforms. Even the stodgiest institutions will default to joining public blockchains as soon as we get some rules of engagement for institutional entrance. There's that public policy theme again. The only exception, if there is one, might be JP Morgan's Onyx, which is the only bank chain I think is worth tracking at this time. As I wrote in chapter five, our political success in the US is not a foregone conclusion. Keeping an eye on Onyx's design and ongoing developments will be important for those who want to stay in crypto within the US if things don't go crypto's way next November. Conclusions. I'm not going to lie, drafting this section was the first time that I felt I had met my match in wrapping my head around all of the year's developments I'll reiterate what I've said throughout. There is too much going on to truly do justice to the core themes in crypto network development, but I hope this scratched the surface enough for you to dive in more.